0: Hey, good morning. Yeah, too much turkey. Is that is that the deal this week? It's like, It's like three people. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. Never mind. I'll just assume that. Yeah, hand out pillows. You can't be sugar crashing yet. Did you guys enjoy the Krispy Kreme donuts? In case you're wondering where those appeared from, the... The youth group um, was having a fundraiser out at First Federal this, I guess, was it yesterday? Uh, selling a whole bunch of different things. And one of them was Krispy Kreme donuts, and those are extras. So, and that's not just for any kind of like general youth group activities. That's for the Dominican Republic trip, for, for those kids that are going to the Dominican Republic, which I don't know if any of you have been on some of those trips, but they're, th- this one's a cool one because they're going to support missionaries that we've sent from Creekside. So they'll be able to see firsthand the work that Creekside's investing in there. Like, the, like I, I've, I've been on one of those trips myself, and I, get, I just know the power of those things to kind of minister to our, your, our own hearts. So uh, that's what the donuts were all about. And I was just told by some of the young men that are going to the Dominican Republic that if you need firewood uh, uh, to burn fires, in case you guys are looking at me with blank stares, and I haven't even started preaching yet. Um, <laughs> if, if, uh, if, you guys, if you guys need firewood, they also have bundles of firewood for sale Somewhere, Why don't you guys stand up? Talk to Grady and Jackson. If you need firewood, go talk to them. They will like, hand cut it and bring it to your home. Uh, I don't know what they'll do, but I'll make promises that they can't keep. So, um, They'll clean your windows. Uh, hang Christmas lights. Uh, vacuum toilets. You're like, stop, Steve, stop. Anything for the Dominican Republic right there. So um, anyway, if you're just joining us, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are studying in the book of John. In fact, we're, we're wrapping up our time in the book of John for the next month, and then we're going to be moving into our Advent series out, out of the beginning of Luke. Um, and so this will be our last time in John for about a month, and then we'll we'll jump back in after the after the new year. Um, but we're in John chapter sixteen verses five through fifteen this morning. And over the last like several weeks, we've been looking at this at the mysterious reality of what Jesus talks about when he talks about our our union with him. He says, "In that day, I will be in you, and you will be in me." And we talked about, like several weeks ago, we talked about what all of that means, or not even what all of that means, we dipped our toe into what that means because you could spend your whole life, like you, you will spend your whole life if you're following Jesus, like growing in what that means in your life um, about and, and how that, how that lives, works out in your own hearts, um, the fact that Christ now dwells in us and we are found in him. But then we saw last week that... Um, that that union of Christ also comes with some hardship that that if we're really united with Christ and we're living as if we're united with Christ, we should expect to be treated similarly to Christ was and this might be a surprise for you if you're new to the, if you're new to the Bible, but like everything wasn't Christmas carols for Jesus' life. Um, in fact, a lot most of jesus' life he was misunderstood, people believed in him for the wrong reasons, and then at the end of the at the end of it all they they just rejected him and executed him and and last week we looked at this passage that was that was pretty sobering um, about the fact that if we're gonna follow Jesus, we should be we should expect to be treated the same way he is, because we're not of the world system anymore. This world system, its idolatries, its ideologies, all of those things are pushing against us and, and are and are really guiding this world. And and this world is like ruthless and and um, what's the word intolerant, I'll say use that word, for anybody that doesn't conform to its own ideologies and idolatries. And so Jesus says, so don't expect to be treated super well. And it, and it could be easy, like if you were the disciples hearing these words, because the other thing, that and we're going to see this again this morning, it could be easy to feel like, as, as you feel like the weaknesses in your own heart, like I think about those things, I feel how weak my own heart is at times and my own devotion to the Lord is at times. I feel how the pressures of the of the world systems on us, all of those things that are trying to like deceive us and manipulate us, and then you have, um, and then you have what Jesus talks about, like persecutions. So you have these internal weaknesses and like ideologies trying to deceive you, and persecutions trying to just like completely take you out. And it would be easy to feel pretty overwhelmed and and anxious about the fact, like, man, I just don't think I can, I would make it. Right? Does anybody ever feel that way? I mean, the word that Jesus used is, I think it's up in verse, yeah, verse 23, he who hates me hates my father also. And then he said, and right before that, he said, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you, like he uses the word hate to describe the, the perspective of those ideology, ideologies of this world against us as his church. And it would be easy to feel pretty overwhelmed, weak, and um, anxious about our ability to stand. I don't know if you, you feel that way, but oftentimes I feel that way. But what Jesus is going to tell his disciples today is something really, really surprising. He's going to tell them that, that he's not going to leave them alone. Even though he's departing, he's not going to leave them alone. In fact, he's going to give them his spirit. And one of the surprising things we're going to see in this text is that when he gives them his spirit, he says, it's actually better for you that I leave and that you get the spirit. So the things that we have like in Christ and through his spirit for us as Christians this morning are better, according to the words of Jesus himself, than like him actually being here with us would have been. He's telling his disciples, hey, it's better if I go away. Our text is going to really break out in two things as he talks about this work of the Spirit of God in this um, the first one is, is in verses 5 through 11 the Spirit's work in the world. He's going to talk about a little bit about the, about the disciples then kind of focus on what the Spirit does in the world around us as, it, as, as we confront those world systems. And then he's gonna talk about the Spirit's work in us in verses 12 through 15. But to give us a little bit of context, I'm gonna start reading at John chapter 15, verse 26, and I'm gonna read all the way through verse, chapter 16, verse 15. So if you could please stand. Um, I'm gonna read a little bit of the context coming before um, and then the, the text that we're gonna be looking at this morning. This is God's word from Jesus for his church. When the helper comes, "...whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. And you will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you, so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who, thinks, who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. And these things they will do, because they have not known the Father or me." But these things I have spoken to you and when their hour comes you, that when their hour comes you may remember that I told you of them and these things that I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you and now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me where are you going but because I have said these things to you sorrow has filled your heart but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go, For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you, do, you no longer behold me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged." I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but at whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Let's pray. Father, I just think of those words that I just read, that the Spirit of God takes um, what belongs to your Son and what he received from you, and he discloses it to us and announces it to us. And and Father, I just I would ask that you would accomplish that this morning, that your Spirit would disclose the work of, of Jesus Christ to us, would reveal to us that what he's doing in this world so that we would be... Um, faithful followers of his. And just pray for people that might not know you here this morning, For like like Morgan said, whatever brought them here or whatever they overcame to be here, I just ask that your spirit would minister to them too and and help them to see their need for for you as Savior. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You know, as we get into this, um, in verse 5 here is, is where our text begins. He says... There's these first two verses, he says, but, but now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. You know, that might surprise you because if you've been with us over the last, I don't know, two months, this whole conversation, in fact, there was an entire chapter kind of all around this discussion of, of Jesus departing. And so it might sound surprising where he says, nobody asks me where I'm going because they've, they've been talking about that. And he's been telling them where he's been going. So I don't think, I think what Jesus is getting at in verses 1 and 2, because he, he says, these things I've told you. He says, all of this stuff that I've been telling you about my departure, about the hardships that are going to come, he says, it's all just overwhelming to you. He says, and now you're not even bothering to ask anymore. Like the disciples were like, Jesus, where are you going? Well, I'm going to be leaving and this is where I'm going and this is what it means for you guys. And, and it wasn't good news, right? Like, no one likes to hear that they're going to be outcast from the synagogue and that people are going to think they're serving God by killing them. Like, that's not something that, all right, I feel great about that, Jesus. I'm glad I signed up, right? <laughs> and instead, like, what does he say? That sorrow has filled their hearts. So he knows, he knows where they're at. He knows that they're in this, that they're facing, like, these fears of the unknown to the point where they're just so overwhelmed that they're not even asking. Jesus anymore. They're not even like, there's no sense even talking about it. But Jesus knows that he needs to tell them some things. So he talks about it and starting in verse seven, look what he says. He says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You know, one of the interesting things about that is, is that, and I said it in my introduction, is that Jesus says, like, from the words of him himself, right, that it's to their advantage that he leaves them so that the helper can come. So, like, just a quick, let me just speak to, you know, all of you that are, that are of that place. And, and I think we've all been there at one time or another, like, man, wouldn't it have been great to have been there when Jesus was there, and we could have seen the feeding of the 5,000, we could have walked on the water, and we could have been just as clueless as the disciples, for some reason, we think that we're going to be better than the disciples, right? Like that, uh, that if we were there, like I can understand those fishermen, like them not getting it, or hunters, but right, or tax collectors, but I, I would, I would get it. And Jesus is like, you guys guys have no idea what you're talking about. He says, you need this work of the spirit of God in your life. And in fact, and so like one of the obvious points of application here is just to trust the words of Jesus, like the resources that he gives us in the spirit of God for us are enough today. And if you think that you would get it when Jesus, what Jesus said and believed it, like, well, he's telling you here that it's to your advantage that he goes away. And he gives a specific reason. He says, because if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And this is the part of the verse that's a little bit more like nuanced that's probably harder to see. But like Jesus isn't saying, I want to make something clear here. Jesus is not saying for some reason, he and the spirit can't both be working at the same time. Right? Like, oh, I have to go and then he can come because it's like some quantum anomaly or something if the Spirit and the sun are together and the world would explode. He's not saying that. In fact, all through the Bible, the Spirit and the son work together. In fact, this, you see the Trinity all woven through these verses who work in perfect unity and harmony all the time. He's not saying that. He's also not saying that the spirit's up in heaven unsure of what to do and he doesn't know what to do and he's not going to like do it until Jesus goes up there and says like okay this is what you need to do, right? Like spirit of God knows what he's doing. So this this expression is an interesting one. If I don't go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. He's talking about something that's that's it's really deep and what's really per- profound, and it's kind of all wrapped up in these words, if I go away. Because when he speaks about himself going away, and we've seen this throughout these, these chapters so far, like, what are some of the things that, he th- that, that are required for him to walk in, for him to go away? Anybody? What was it? The cross. Okay, one of the things that he has to do if he's going to go away to the Father, he has to die on the cross. Like, he came for that very purpose. Before he died on the cross, what happened? He was beaten. He was betrayed. After he died on the cross, he was buried in the ground. Three days later, he raised from the dead. And then, like, 30 days later, I think it was, he he ascended into heaven. So when Jesus talks about going away to the Father, what he's talking about isn't just like, like driving to grandma's house for Thanksgiving. He's talking about like, unless I go away, unless I walk this path of betrayal and torture and crucifixion and burial and resurrection and ascension, like the Spirit won't come to you. What he's talking about. He's like, I'm, I'm going to bring in the new covenant with my blood. I'm going to, I'm going to like establish my kingdom as I ascend to the Father and sit at the right hand. And so when he says that's to your advantage to go away, he's saying, man, when, when I leave and the Spirit comes, it's going to be the inauguration of this new kingdom on this earth that you have no idea what that's going to be like. And in fact, Peter himself actually put this together. He, like none of the disciples, I don't think, got it at this point in time because they're dumber than we would have been. Um, that was a joke. Like three of you got it. So I'm glad my humor is about on par as normal. But Peter put this together 50 days later in his sermon. If you guys are familiar, for those of you that have been around the Bible, like in Acts chapter 2, is the the fulfillment of these words that Jesus spoke. The Spirit of God was poured out upon the the 120 disciples that were gathered together there. And they had these these flames on their heads. And they began to speak in other languages so that everybody could speak. And then Peter preaches this message to the Jewish people. And he says this um, as he's getting towards the end. He says, this Jesus... God raised up again, talking about his resurrection, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, talking about his ascension, where he now sits in power, and having received from the fa- Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. What he's saying here is that it's, it's because Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of, of the throne where, where he where he rules above all things. It's because he he receives from the, the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, that he pours it out on us. So when Jesus says, I'm going away, and that's to your advantage, what he is saying is, like, to us specifically today, like, we are those who live in this new kingdom, under this new covenant, where the Spirit of God comes upon us, where Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. and And then he... And then he goes on, he says, for it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He's like, Jesus is the one who, is, who went to the Father, who sits at his right hand, and who, like, who is working in, through history right now today to make all of his enemies an Ottoman for himself. You know, it's to our advantage that we get to live in this day and age where the Spirit of God is poured out upon the people of God. You know, I think it's important for us because it's we need to, we need to like come to grips with what Jesus is saying here because the work of the Spirit of God in and with the people of God is the source of strength, encouragement, and comfort as we follow him in this hostile world. In fact, he uses that word Helper. You know, that word helper, it means means somebody that comes alongside somebody else. Like somebody called to your aid. Like the Holy Spirit, he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to come alongside of you. He's going to come to your aid and he's going to give you comfort and encouragement and strength and empowerment. And even the words to speak that the Spirit of God is the helper upon God's people as they live in this hostile world. And it's not all on us to accomplish the things that that God wants us to accomplish in this world. We saw the reason why I started reading at verse 26 and 27 of chapter 15 is he talks about the helper coming and he talks about the helper bearing witness and us bearing witness. Like our mission in this world in the face of the hostility of the world's systems is what we looked at last week is to bear witness to the work the person and work of Jesus Christ but we don't do it alone the Holy Spirit comes alongside and helps us do it he, it's kind of funny because he's not called the doer he's called the helper you know and so all of the things that this that these things that the Spirit of God is doing in these texts in this text is, is stuff that he does alongside his people and through his people not independently of his people I mean sometimes he just does stuff because he does stuff, but the normal way of his work in this world is to work through his people to accomplish like the purposes of Christ. He's our helper, and we live in this age. And then we we come to this part here in verse in verse eight where he talks about what he's doing in this world. It says this. He says, and and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. So the Spirit is going to, the Spirit comes, and what Jesus says, one of the main functions of the Spirit of God coming to alongside the people of God to help them in this world is to bring conviction upon the world the world's systems, those those things that they rely upon, and all the people that live informed by them that he's coming to bring conviction. And I just want to speak a little bit about the word conviction. And this is kind of like a tangent this morning, but I think it's been something significant in my own heart that I've had to work through um, in years past. And if there's anybody struggling with the things that I've struggled with, I I just want to talk about the difference between conviction and condemnation. You know, because nobody likes to be Condemned, and oftentimes we misperceive. I think conviction as condemnation, and maybe we misperceive condemnation as conviction. and And the difference is this: is the work of the Spirit of God is to bear witness to Jesus Christ. We saw that up in chapter up in chapter fifteen. And this idea of conviction is that He's going to bring to light like our own sin. He's going to bring to light. He's going to like cross examine all of those things that we put our trust in and he's going to ask us like he's going to and he's going to like really like reveal it for what it is. He's going to like bring us out to to where we're, we it's kind of like a mirror where we see ourselves truly for who we are, not who we want to be and not who we think we are or what everybody else tells us we are. We're, the spirit of God reveals like our sin and all of those false things we put our hope in. But the, but the key part about conviction is it doesn't just stop there. It's not, he's not just a mirror, he's also a lens to help us see Jesus Christ. Like the, the Spirit of God wants us to look our sin and our failures like full in the face, but then like turn and look upon the face of Jesus. And conviction from the Spirit of God always brings, always bear, bears witness to Jesus Christ, which is a big difference than condemnation condemnation is like it starts the same way you're you're brought out into the light your sins are exposed your your all of the things you hoped in are proven to be false and and with it comes fear and shame and condemnation and this desire to run away from Jesus has anybody ever feel that like Adam and Eve in the garden we just hide ourselves from the presence of him who who's walking that we used to fellowship with the spirit's job is to bring people to Jesus. It's our enemy, Satan, that wants to bring condemnation. In fact, and in, in, it's in a couple of places in the scriptures, but in Revelation twelve ten, listen to what, listen to what, uh, how the work of Satan is described. It says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. Amen to that. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them before our God day and night. The accuser of our brethren who accuses them before God day and night. Does anybody feel that in their hearts? Like that, that voice of those like, oh, like God couldn't love you or you finally sinned one too many times or you've gone back to the Lord one too many times for forgiveness. You've, you, man, you... You've been, Steve, you've struggled with the same sin like your entire life. Like how can Jesus like continue to like put up with you, right? Like the accuser of his brethren has been thrown down and look what it says in verse 11. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of the testimony and they did not love their life even when faced with death. There's three things like, First thing that's first and foremost, it's not, it's the blood of the Lamb, like John talked about this at the beginning of the Gospel of John. Behold the Lamb of God who what? Ah, the blood of the Lamb takes away the sin of the world, so our condemnation goes with him. The word of our testimony, because we this this genuine faith that we place in Jesus Christ, we overcome the accusation of the brethren of the of Satan by the blood of the lamb, by our genuine faith in Jesus Christ, the word of our testimony. And then it says, it's a faith that's so deep, that's what he's getting at, that they did not love their life, even with faced with death. Like, you believe it to the end. That's how you overcome. It's not through your own, like, it's not through your own righteousness, it's by, it's by holding to, like, your faith, even when faced with death even when the world hates you like it hated Jesus because we are saved by the blood of the lamb that's who takes away our guilt and our sin there's a scene back in I guess it's in Zechariah chapter 8 chapter 9 you can look it up later I don't have it in my notes but that John's alluding to where the high priest goes up before God and he's dressed in all these dirty clothes and Satan stands up to accuse him and then the and then the they they take away like the priest's dirty clothes and they put on him like these clothes of righteousness and and um, and God rebukes Satan because this person has been declared righteous. The accuser of our brethren has been thrown down by the because of the blood of the Lamb. He's the one that takes away our sin. But oftentimes it's hard it's it's so the, the it's hard to distinguish between the two and people that don't know Christ. And who, who have no confidence in the, in the blood of Jesus Christ probably don't feel the difference between conviction and condemnation a lot unless, they're, unless they humble themselves to run towards Him. And what it says is that when He, the Spirit of God, will convict the world concerning, here it is, concerning their sin, concerning, and, and there's, there's some debate about how this is all interpreted, but I'm gonna interpret it this way concerning their sin and their righteousness and their judgment. What he's saying, first of all, is the Holy Spirit's job is to come and, and bring to light, like, those things in your heart and those things that you do and in your life that, that stand against, like, what God desires and puts you in need of his grace and his mercy. The Spirit is going to convict you of those things. The Spirit's going to convict the world of those things. And then it says he's going to convict the world concerning their righteousness, like, there's standards of what's right and wrong. There's standards of, of what makes you virtuous and what makes you not virtuous and those things that you should cling to and the, the, the kind of life that you should live and those things that you should embrace and the, the ideologies that you should, like, proclaim. There's standard of righteousness the Spirit's going to convict that and show it to be, like, failing. And he says it here in verse 10. It's really interesting. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me. I always read that until I studied it this week for the sermon. I always understood that verse as, as because I go to the Father and they no longer behold me. As if, like what I always thought Jesus was saying is that Jesus was saying that, that, he needs, that the world needs the Spirit to convict them because Jesus isn't here any longer and they can't see Jesus and the standard of righteousness that he lived out. And so they need the Spirit of God to to point him out. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that they won't see him. It says the disciples won't see him because he, what does it say? Because I go to the Father. I think what he's saying is that it's actually something much more profound. What he's saying is this, is that because he goes to the Father and because he's pouring out his spirit upon his people, because he's inaugurating in this new kingdom upon his church, all those things that we've seen so far, because the disciples no longer see him because he goes to the Father, and what they have instead is the work of the Spirit of God is that the, the righteousness that the Spirit of God is be working in the people of God is to bring conviction upon the world because the disciples no longer see, which puts a pretty heavy burden upon us. Like, is our righteousness as God's people our standard of what's right and wrong, the things that we believe that we allow to form and shape our life, Has it taken root so deeply in us that conviction comes upon the world because of how we live? Because we no longer see the Father and we have the Spirit of God working in us instead. You know, the last thing he speaks about here is is, um, concerning judgment, verse 11, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Not only is the sin of the world something the Spirit brings conviction on because they don't believe in Jesus, not only is the righteousness of the world something that, that he brings conviction on, but their very judgment is skewed and, and perverted. What they declare to be right and what they declare to be wrong is, in, in this world, Jesus says, is going to be messed up. In fact, in Romans, it's, you know it talks about that they, hardy, they gave hearty approval for the things that do, for people that do the wrong things and they condemn people that do the right things. He said, and, and that judgment of this world began with their treatment of Jesus. Remember how Peter ended his statement in, in 1 Peter 2. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Like their judgment, the judgment of this world is so skewed because it's informed by the ruler of this world. And we've seen in the Gospel of John, I think it's back in John chapter 8, Jesus is really clear that the, that the ruler of this world, the devil himself, is a liar and a deceiver. And as a liar and deceiver, he, he twists people's judgments around. He convinces of things that are false. And so they, they think their sin is okay. They think their standards of righteousness are correct. And, and their hostile judgment upon those who walk in this world is also going to be like convicted of. So when the Spirit of God comes into this world working through his people, we shouldn't be surprised that that we get treated like Jesus. It was because people's individual sin gets pointed out, their, their, their ideologies and their systems of righteousness get pointed out and get revealed as false, their actual judgment of what's right and wrong gets revealed as false. So we shouldn't be surprised. And yet we are, right? Like we, we act like some strange and shocking thing happens every time somebody like rejects the gospel or rejects the truth of who Jesus Christ is or rises up with hostility against the church for no good reason. But Jesus says, you know, that's what he said last week. We looked at this last week. I think it's in verse, verse 16. These things, or verse one of chapter 16. These things I have spoken to you that you may be kept from stumbling like, I'm telling you about this ahead of time, people, so that when it happens, you don't like trip and fall and don't think like something unusual is happening. You know, before I go on to point two, like, what time is it? Like, I don't think our clock's working back there, I hope. 11 11? Sounds like a biblical thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like some prophetic word, the 11 11. Um, <laughs> Anyway, sorry, my, my brain does weird things. Seven um, Eleven, so Slurpee time here. <laughs> Grady and Jackson will bring Slurpees over when they get your firewood too. So, as they clean your toilets, you can sip Slurpees. So, okay, back to the subject. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about this idea of how, how God uses us as his people in this world and how people are going to hear it differently. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Right before this, he talks about how, how the church, how God's people are a fragrance to Christ. And he says in the, in the word, this fragrance, like this perfume that's, that's to be perceived everywhere like it should be infused all through, like wherever we go, there's this fragrance that should be everywhere throughout this world and in every kind of like corner of McMinnville. And then he says this for we are an aroma of Christ to God among those who are being, sa- who are being saved and among those who are perishing, and among those who are perishing, to the one an aroma from death to death, to the to the other, an aroma from life to life, and who is adequate for these things? What he's saying is this: is that when we like, like, give out the fragrance of Christ, when we live according to the Spirit of God, and we're manifesting the righteousness of Christ in this world, the judgment of Christ in this world, and 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 lifting up Christ as the one, that, as the solution to the problem of sin in this world. We are this fragrance of Christ. And he says, and those who are being saved, it's going to be this aroma of, of life. They're going to smell it as life, and they're going to experience life. And for those who are perishing, it's going to smell like the rottenness of death. And they're going to reject it as death for their death. And then Paul says, like, and who is adequate of these things? That's Paul's question, not mine. And in the verses that follow, you can read it like at home. You know, he begins to talk about the work of the Spirit of God in, in people's hearts and the work of the Spirit of God in this world. It's it's through the Spirit of God that we're supposed to manifest this aroma of Christ. And to some people, when they smell that, they'll, they'll experience life and others will reject it as death. You know, and our job is simply to faithfully represent and proclaim Jesus Christ and be his witnesses wherever we go, regardless of the responses. Regardless of the response. And that brings us to our second point here, the Spirit's work in us in verses 12 through 15. I'll read those again. He says, but I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. And he will glorify me and he will take of mine and, will, and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you." you know, so the first thing Jesus says in verse 12 is he, you know, he knows, like his disciples are just overwhelmed. And in verse 12, he's like, I've got so much more that you need to understand. He said, but you can't bear it anymore. Like, you've already, you've already shut down in, verse, you know, in verses 5 and 6. You're already shutting down. I've got so much more to tell you, but you just can't bear it now. You see Jesus' compassion for his people. But he's going to send his spirit, and he says the spirit of God is going to to lead you or guide you into all the truth. It's interesting what he says, that preposition, into all the truth. Like all of the things, you know, and we know that truth is found in Jesus. All of the things that Jesus taught, all of the things that Jesus did, all, all of the significance of his cross, the significance of his work, that the Spirit of God is going to guide us into the truth. Which means that he, he's going like our, our life of following God's Spirit, if we're, if we're walking with the Spirit of God and walking as a follower of Jesus Christ in this age that we find ourselves in, we should be constantly experiencing this the guiding of the spirit as he's teaching us like all of the implications about the work of Jesus Christ and his reign in this world and in our hearts. We should we should be letting his lordship impact every area of our life and being more transformed as we do. It's because the spirit guides us into the truth. You know, it's not just like, you know, a lot of people think that becoming a Christian is just believing some things about Jesus and putting your faith in Jesus and then, kind of just hanging on until the last day or just trying to be a good moral person or whatever you try to do. There's this moment where you come to faith in Jesus, but then the work of the Spirit of God comes upon you, and it's this constant like, working of the Spirit of God is guiding you into the truth so that every area of your life comes under submission to Jesus and begins to reflect him. So that we can be this fragrance of Christ in this world. In fact, Jesus kind of said something like this in, in John 8, verses 31 and 32. He's, there's this whole group of people that some of them believed in him. Some of them thought they believed in him, but didn't really. And he, and he was telling them about how they can distinguish like true faith from non, non-true faith. He says this. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. He says the life of a true disciple is one that continues in the truth. It's one that's following the guide of the spirit and into increasing like understanding of the truth, application of the truth and the freedom that comes from the truth. That's the life of the Christian. The work of the spirit in this world is to is to guide us in the truth. The second thing he says here is in verse um, what well, first am I on? Oh, verse 13 again. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. That that word disclose. He will disclose to you what is to come. I think some of your translations read he will announce to you what is to come. In fact, that word is used three times. It's used there in 13. It's used there in 14. And it's used again in 15 He will disclose or announce. I think "announce" is a better word because the word is the word um, "anangelo," which is where we get the word "angel" from. Who are messengers? It's where we get the word "evangelism," like which is part of that. Like it's a prefix on on this word "anangelo." It means that it means to make a proclamation or an announcement, and often it's used in the context of like a king making this like announcement to people. The Holy Spirit is going to declare to us what is to come, and declare to the disciples what is to come. Now, when people oftentimes read that, and they just immediately jump to like the end times, like oh, like the Spirit is disclosing what's to come, so we're going to know about like all of these like things, right? And, I was going to go into this whole sarcastic diatribe but you can just fill that in in your head if you've listened to me enough about that. There's no reason though why we should necessarily jump ahead to end times. What he's telling his disciples that he's, they're going the Holy Spirit's going to disclose to them what is to come. What's to come after these events? Like what's to come after his death burial and resurrection? Everything that follows after like the Holy Spirit coming upon his people. And and in fact, at the beginning of the book of Acts, right before we have that account where where, uh, the Spirit's poured out on the people of God, the disciples are still clueless. And they're like, hey, is this the time you're going to establish your kingdom? He says, oh, it's not for you to know the times or the epics, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But I should have put this in my notes. But Something about the spirit of God coming upon them, and they will be as witnesses both in Judea, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. But I missed a phrase in there somewhere or, or two. What I think what he's talking about here is that is the disciples are going to take it's going to take some work for them to understand like the implications of Christ's rule in this world of all the things that are going to come following his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension and the pouring out of the Spirit. He's talking about the establishment of his church, the fact that the Spirit of God is like dwelling inside of us. He's going to disclose to you or announce to you the fact that, that this, the gospel message is for anyone who places their faith in Christ, that you be, can become like members of like the covenant community of God simply through faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, because Jesus has taken your, your, your guilt away. He's talking about what's to come when, when he says that you're going to go throughout the whole earth and spread the, the good news of the gospel. And, yeah, I think it does probably include like all those things that we kind of put into this end times category. But ultimately, this, what the Spirit of God is doing is, is he's, he reveals to us what Jesus has done for us and guides us into that. And he reveals to us what, this, what, God is, what Jesus is doing in this world, and he's revealing that to us, too. So I think when when the Spirit of God's working and revealing things to you, you're going to come to this deeper, like personal understanding of what Christ has done for you, and you're going to be in, in more in line with His purposes of what's to come, what He's been doing in this world, and what He is doing in this world. You know, and then the third thing He talks about here is is in verse. Um, Oh, verse 14. He shall glorify me. You know, the, the ultimate, you know, and that, this kind of includes everything that he said up to this point, that the ultimate purpose of the Spirit of God as he works in this world is to bring glory to Jesus. So here's where we just get into our application. So our application at this point is, is, is I think, kind of simple. Like, if you want to, like, experience the work of the Spirit of God in this world, According to verse 14, what does the Spirit do? He glorifies Jesus. If you want to be a part of the work of the Spirit of God, if you want to experience the work of the Spirit of God in this world, give yourselves to those things that glorify Jesus because that's what the Spirit does. You know, we always, we, we, you know, back when I was younger in ministry, I don't think it's as much of a debate anymore, but there was all this debate about the work of the Spirit. But at the end of the day, it's pretty simple. The Spirit brings glory to Jesus. He brings glory to Jesus by, by transforming our hearts so that we can greater reflect him in this world and be a fragrance to him in this world. He brings glory to Jesus by, by establishing his church and doing his work in his church. He'll bring glory to Jesus when he brings all of his enemies under his feet one day. But if you want to experience the work of the Spirit of God in your life, give yourselves to those things that glorify Jesus. Not yourself. And, and he, there's this kind of weird connection. It's not weird; it's Bible. But um, there's some weird things in the Bible. But this isn't that weird. Um, look what he says, like in verse 13: He will, um, he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. I'm talking about hearing from Jesus. Verse 14: He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. And then Jesus says this: All things that the Father have. All, of, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and he will disclose it to you. Like he says this multiple times and you're kind of like, well, like why? I think what Jesus is getting at first and foremost, like theologically, like kind of in a systematic theology world, like it shows the complete unity of, this, of the Trinity, that the Father gives to the Son, the Spirit gives to the, I mean, the, Father, the Son then gives to the Spirit. The Spirit then turns around and glorifies Jesus, and the Father glorifies Jesus, and then Jesus glorifies the Father. There's this unique, mysterious working of the Trinity as they all work, like, for each other's good and for each other's glory. And, and the Son works in submission to the Father, and the Spirit works in submission to the Son. And, and that's all there. But I think there's something just more, a lot more personal than that because what happens here is that the Father gives these things to the Son, the Son gives them to the Spirit, and then the Spirit, it says, announces them to us. Like, we're part of this chain too. So here's the question, I think, that, the, that all of those like phrases that, you know, kind of force us to ask. like, This entire work of the Trinity from like eternity past has it all been around this, the work of Jesus Christ. And, and his exaltation and the, and the and redemption of God going to this world. And the Father like, gave those things to the Son and sent the Son. The Son sent the Spirit. The Spirit comes upon us, and the Spirit guides us. Well, I know that the Son didn't drop the ball when he got it from the Father, and I know the Spirit didn't drop the ball when he got it from the Son. And now the question is, is, like, what do we do with the ball? Right? we're part of this whole thing the spirit's guiding us he's revealing to us what Jesus is doing in this world what are we going to do about it i mean i think there's the text itself has enough applications for us like first of all he if you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you've never come to know him and and there's a fragrance even in the weakness of my preaching that's coming out like where you might be questioning like your own sin where well, you might be questioning your own standards of righteousness and your own judgment, and you might be. And the Spirit of God is bringing conviction upon you, like, like don't let that conviction go to waste. Like, direct your hearts to, like Jesus, because He's the one that's the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. If not, it just becomes condemnation. Like, if you don't turn to Jesus, it just becomes condemnation, and don't go there. You know, for those of us that, that do claim to follow Jesus Christ. You know the spirit of God comes alongside. The spirit of God comes alongside of you and works with you, so that you can be a fragrance of Christ in this world wherever you go. So tomorrow morning, when you guys show up in school, or when you go to like college, or when you're going to work, or when you're like trying to take care of your kids, or whatever those things you do, like wherever you go, you'd be to this fragrance of Christ, and and to be pointing people to, to Him and. And some people are going to smell that as death. But those who are being saved by the Spirit of God, they're going to smell it as life, and they'll respond and experience life. And that's one of the things that the Spirit of God is doing is bringing that conviction. You know, the second point of application, or third, depending on how you're numbering them, like, he guides you into all the truth. You know, the truth of what Jesus has done, are, are, are you taking steps every single day to like follow the spirit as he guides you into that. or are experiencing the transformation that comes along with it? You know, Paul talks about this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says this. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, brethren, I think is the word that he uses, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Like he says, like true worship isn't about singing. True worship is about like climbing up on the altar and being willing to lay your life down in devotion to God. And then he says this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The Spirit of God is the one who guides us down that path, who who leads us into all the truth, who teaches us what's to come. Like, our, Out of all the things that conform you and shape you in this world, are you... Are you being shaped by the things of this world and by the messages of this world and the ideologies of them? Are, are you being transformed by the renewing of your, renewing of your mind on the, the truth of God's Word and the truth of Jesus Christ by the Spirit? You know, one of the things that's such a challenge is that with... with um, I'm, I'm old enough to know life without a smartphone. It's hard to believe, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, man... It, Today, you can, like, you get information just piped to you constantly. And the question is, is what's going to really form you? Are you going to let all of the messages that are so hard to even filter because they come so fast, like, going to shape you? Are you going to be shaped by, like, having your mind renewed as the Spirit guides you in the truth? You know, and then he will show you what's to, what's to come. He's going to show you what God's doing in this world and what he's going, and how it's all going to wrap up. And is your life lived in, in alignment with that? You know, Brian, you can come up to close us. But like in Ephesians 3, verses 8 through 10, if Paul says this in Ephesians 3. He says, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles. You could even, like, you could substitute the word nations in there, to preach the nations, the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring delight, to what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. He's talking about the church there, this mystery. And go on. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He says, that, he says this, this mystery of what God's doing in the church has been hidden in God from long ages past and has now been made known by this work of the spirit of God and God so that the, God could be glorified in front of the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Like, are you giving yourself to that? That's what God's doing in this world. That's the things to come. And then he, he ends in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 with this. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond. Like, I love that. Like, the stacking up of words. Far more abundantly beyond. All that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's what the Spirit's doing. The Spirit's like establishing his church, this church of Jesus Christ. He's bringing glory to Jesus Christ in the church and, and to all generations forever. Like We need to be those people who are guided in the truth and who are living for those things that, are, that God is doing right now today in the world. So Brian, why don't you close us? And if there's anything that you're feeling convicted on, don't just put that out of your head. Like, um, just confess that to the Lord. Ask yourselves as you go into this new year, like, what are some things that you need to realign in your life so that you could be about those things, about, like, the becoming the fragrance of Christ, being formed by the truth, and being about his mission. So Brian, why don't you close us? I'm we'll close us in prayer.